Let's stand together for the reading of our gospel this morning. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Come now, Holy Spirit, we pray, and overrule and overwhelm. Come and overrule and overwhelm these words that I speak, that they be in accordance to your will and your word. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and overrule and overwhelm the words that are heard, that they would be used by you to change our lives, to glorify Jesus, and to point others towards him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So over the last couple of weeks, or actually the last several weeks, we've been uh, uh, spending our sermon time every Sunday in the Acts of the Apostles, St. Luke's narrative of the expansion, the growth of the earliest church. And every point along the way when, when St. Luke is talking about or pointing towards or, or narrating the next major step in growth for the church and expansion of the gospel, St. Luke is very careful to point out that this growth is not by accident. It is part of God's plan. And every step of the way, when, when, when St. Luke points out that this growth was by God's plan, he's also careful to point out that it was by God's power. Now, we ought not be surprised by that, because as we've seen, and as we'll continue to uh, be reminded, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, serves as the theme verse for the entirety of the book. There in that chapter and verse, Jesus says to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
So there in that, that theme verse for the entirety of the book, you already begin to see, we already begin to see that God's plan is to proclaim the gospel, give witness to Jesus, crucified and risen in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the, all the ends of the earth, and that that plan will be empowered by God's own power, the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning then, the growth of the church, the expansion of the gospel, has to do with God's plan being unfolded in God's power. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended upon uh, 120 disciples. And in the next several chapters, proclamation of the gospel and power of the Holy Spirit go together. They're intertwined. Many signs and wonders were done in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. The gospel was proclaimed. The proclamation of the gospel itself empowered by the Holy Spirit and the church grew. As we come to Acts chapter 13 this morning that, that Doug read for us, Acts chapter 13, 1 through 12, we come to the first intentional international missionary activity and we see the trend continue. God gives his plan, God gives his power, and it goes forth. So our big idea for this morning, if, if there's nothing else that you remember from this morning, despite my amusing and insightful illustrations and comments, please remember this. God gives his direction and God gives his power for the spread of the gospel. So having spent some time then uh, dealing with events occurring in Jerusalem, as chapter 13 begins, St. Luke shifts his focus back to Antioch of Syria. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 11, verses uh, 19 through 30. It's on our, uh, both our, our, our podcast and it's also on our website if you missed out on that one. Uh, we looked at the planting of the church there in Antioch. And we, we, we noticed at that time that Antioch of Syria was a really strategic location for God to plant a church. It was sort of a crossroads of, of big, important parts of the Roman Empire. It was a large and important city, strategically located, and it becomes home for a vibrant church. And so when God wants to launch this international, this intentional international missionary movement, he doesn't do it from Jerusalem, he does it from Antioch. And I can't say particularly why other than to say that's the way God wanted it, so that's the way God gets it. Planted by everyman evangelists, led by Barnabas and Saul, Luke writes, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Luke has already commented uh, on the amazing growth of the church back in chapter 11, and now he begins to give us insight into the nature 
of the church. It had prophets and teachers empowered themselves by the Holy Spirit. Later on, when St. Paul puts uh, his, his pen to paper and he writes what we call 1 Corinthians, he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, manifested as, in some ways as prophets and teachers. And here they are exhibited in this earliest church in Antioch. And so not only does St. Luke show us the leadership, so to speak, the Holy Spirit-led leadership of the church in Antioch, but, but he also reveals a willingness of the church as a whole to listen to God and to obey. Hearing is not the same thing as listening, as husbands and wives know all the time, as teachers know all the time, as anyone with children knows. Listening is not the same as hearing. While they were worshiping the Father, the Father they were worshiping the Lord, Luke tells us. They were, they were fasting. The Holy Spirit, most likely through the mouth of one of these human prophets, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. The Holy Spirit breaks in upon their worship. He, he changes the agenda not just of their worship service in that moment, but he changes whatever plans they may have had for the church. Former English Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher once noted that when Christians meet as Christians to take counsel together, their purpose is not or should not be to ascertain what is the mind of the majority, but what is the mind of the Holy Spirit, something which may be quite different. And so we see here in this passage of Acts chapter 13, the, the Holy Spirit speaking to the church of Antioch and saying something to them which may have been quite different than what they had in mind. You see, folks, when it comes to the church, when it comes to Jesus' people, God gets to direct the action. He just does. Later on in the book of uh, Ephesians St. Paul will talk about Jesus being the head of the church. The body goes where the head leads. And so God gets to direct the action of his followers. He gets to direct the action of his church. And here, the Holy Spirit breaks in upon the church of Antioch and declares what they are to do, what their mission is, or more specifically, what they're to do to Barnabas and Saul in sending them out. They're sensitive. These, these leaders, this church is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They don't just hear, but they listen and they respond with prompt action. We read that they fasted and prayed, probably out of a desire to make sure they were discerning accurately that which the Holy Spirit had proclaimed. And then having discerned accurately what the Holy Spirit was saying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's one thing to hear from the Holy Spirit. It's another thing to listen and obey. The church in Antioch clearly heard the direction of God. They clearly heard God's plan, and they just as clearly obeyed. Now, I want us to notice something here in their obedience. I think it's important for us. The church of Antioch obeyed even though it meant change. Now, I know change is far more offensive in some connotations than any four-letter word that any one of us may hear. But change 
here was directed by the Holy Spirit, and they responded with obedience. What do I mean by change? Well, if you notice in uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 1, when, when St. Luke is listing off the leadership of the church, who bookended the leaders? Barnabas and Saul. And if you go back to Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 25 and following, we see that Barnabas and Saul both played a hugely important role in the church of Antioch. And so what the Holy Spirit is calling them to do and setting aside and sending out Barnabas and Saul is, think about this, give up leaders. Send out leaders. That this was going to be an important difference in their life together. This would be a change that would mean loss. But the loss that this church in Antioch was going to endure was nothing compared to the necessity of hearing from the Holy Spirit. And having heard from the Holy Spirit, having received God's direction, obeying. They had to trust that not only were they doing that which God wanted them to do, but that God would provide not just for Barnabas and Saul, but for the church in Antioch as well. And so they laid their hands upon them. Think about that obedience to respond promptly, laying their hands upon these newly called and appointed missionaries, and they sent them out. The church belongs to God in Jesus, and the church is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is God. God gets to drive the church. God gets to give the church its marching orders. He gets to direct its action. The, the church is responsible to obey, to respond to that which God wants it to do. Now, we have to say at this point that, that as, we, as we transition into the next step of this passage, we have to stop and just say, recognizing that God gives mission, God then gives power to fulfill that mission. It isn't as if uh, God says, here, go do this impossible task and figure out how to do it on your own. Muddle your way through it and maybe the results will come. That's not at all what God does. Rather, God says, here is this impossible task for you to go and do, and here is all the power you will ever need to get it done, to accomplish it. Because God does give his direction, God does give his plan, but then the other side of that coin, God gives his power for the accomplishment of that plan, of that purpose. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, here Barnabas and Saul went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had, they had John to assist them. Called out by the Holy Spirit, sent by the Holy Spirit, now empowered by the Holy Spirit. There on Cyprus, well, they established a pattern that Paul will follow through his other missionary journeys. He'll, he'll begin his gospel proclamation in the Jewish synagogues. He will begin there telling them about Jesus, and from there he would go to the Gentiles. And so it is on Cyprus, having begun with the Jewish synagogues in Salamis, Barnabas and Saul move on to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, Luke very specifically mentions one Gentile in particular, the most important Gentile on all of Cyprus, the Roman proconsul, the representative of imperial power, Sergius Paulus. Luke tells us, a man of intelligence. I love that. How did, how did Luke know that Sergius Paulus was a man of intelligence? Well, because he summoned Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God. 
That's a great sign of his intelligence and his wisdom. No one in here found that nearly as amusing as I did. I, I chuckled even in my study this past week. But isn't this interesting? Often in the narrative of Acts, as the gospel is first proclaimed among the Jewish synagogues, it and its messengers begin to receive rejection or passive-aggressive hostility and then not-so-passive persecution. But then, as the pattern unfolds and continues on, the gospel is taken to Gentiles where it finds a warmer welcome. And here on Cyprus, the proconsul even has taken the initiative, inviting Barnabas and Saul to meet with him. But here it is, of course, where we find in an encounter with an enemy, God's power is manifest. In Paphos, the the city where Sergius Paulus lived, the, the missionaries ran into a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. From what Luke tells us in verses 6, 7, and 8, it seems as though this Bar-Jesus, he, he later says his name is also Elamus, was serving as a counselor of sorts to Sergius Paulus. He was a, a magus, a, a diviner or a fortune teller. And so it could be that, you know, uh, Sergius Paulus had to make a really, really important decision that he, he called in uh, this Elamus and said, let me know how this is going to turn out. Divine for me. So he was uh, also, this Bar-Jesus was also a Jewish false prophet. And as Barnabas and Saul came, as they were summoned before Sergius Paulus to proclaim the word of God, Elamus the magician opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the truth. Now, Let's notice something here. Sergius Paulus wants to hear this teaching. Elamus isn't willing to hear the teaching and then contradict or refute. Elamus is not looking for an open dialogue of a difference of opinion. He's not looking for some forum for peaceful debate. No, Elamus was actively opposing the gospel, seeking to keep Serbius Paulus from hearing about Jesus crucified and risen, and certainly seeking to keep Sergius Paulus from believing in Jesus crucified and risen. And it very well could be that, that Elamus wasn't concerned about questions of truth or falsehood. Rather, Elamus was worried about the prestigious position that he had as a counselor of the proconsul. He may have feared that had Sergius Paulus believed in Jesus, then he would have no more need for the fraudulent fortune-telling of Bar-Jesus. And so he opposes the gospel. And motive for opposing the gospel really doesn't matter because in opposing the gospel, you're opposing God himself. And God doesn't really deal with that uh, kindly in some cases. In fact, Bar-Jesus here, he opens up a can of worms. And, and in this confrontation between these two individuals who claim supernatural power, Elamus gets an old-fashioned, behind-the-woodshed level of whooping. I mean, he gets taken out, Right? Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the uh, really important part of this, of this passage, of this encounter, is that, yes, we'll talk about what he says to Bar-Jesus, to Elamus, but he does it filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't 
argue out of his own authority. He doesn't argue out of his own wisdom. He doesn't argue out of his own rhetoric. He doesn't put up his fists and offer to throw down. Rather, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and it is in the power of the Holy Spirit that he is operating, not just to proclaim the gospel, but to carry out God's plan. And so he looks intently at this Elamus. Can we talk about a, the, the laser beam look, the, the look of, that withers your soul? I have received that look from time to time. And, and you all know what we're talking about. If you've ever been a high school student, I know, I guarantee you, that you've received the look that can wither. Our daughter is developing quite a look of her own that I have received from time to time looked intently at him, and he says, you son of the devil. This is a play on Elamus's name. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. And here in his rebuke, what he's saying is, you are no son of Jesus. You're a son of the devil. Not complimentary in the least. He's an opponent of God attempting to undo that which is God is doing. You're an enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? The answer is no, Paul, he won't. And so in this display of power filled with the Holy Spirit, he says to Elamus, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for a time. His physical condition, Elamus's physical condition, now matches his spiritual condition. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him. And just as he was lost spiritually, a, a magician, a fortune teller, a false prophet of the, of the Jewish faith, so now he is lost physically, groping about to the point where he needs someone to lead him. Now, what's the point of all this? Power and proclamation often go hand in hand, both by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul was used by God to reveal the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and this prepared the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, to hear the gospel. And the, he was astonished by the word of God. Quite often in the books of Acts, uh, a healing or a casting out of a, of a demon, or in this case, the, the rendering blind, th- that work of power leads to an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And... Quite frankly, that work of power lends credence to the more astonishing word that God would give of himself to save sinners. This work of power uh, uh, prepares Sergius Paulus to have ears that are open and a heart that is ready to hear the gospel. If this God is so capable of doing this by a simple spoken word of an individual who believes, how much more then do I need to pay attention to what the individual says about that God? Sergius Paulus, astonished at the teaching of the Lord, believed We don't know long-term what happens with Sergius Paul as he disappears from uh, the book of Acts at verse 12. What we see in this entire passage, however, is that God gives his direction and God gives his power for the spread of the gospel. Pastor Ray Stedman once said, Ministries that genuinely touch the world all can be traced to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, This is a truth that seems lost to today's church. If we think about this in terms of, a, of wind 
and the sailboats. Perhaps we can more fully understand the need of the Holy Spirit to direct and empower the gospel witness of Jesus' church. A sailboat is an amazing and beautiful thing. Anna and I were blessed to take a little cruise on a sail-driven catamaran in Bermuda one time. And it was absolutely great. Loved it. But a sailboat becomes a buoy without wind. Without wind to fill the sails, all a sailboat will do is float and bob. When I was a younger man, one of my favorite movies was the movie Tommy Boy. Anybody seen Tommy Boy? Anybody? It was one of those movies that my mother-in-law refers to as made for morons. I think it's absolutely brilliant. <sighs> There's a great scene near the end of Tommy Boy, so spoiler alert. Uh, Tommy is a, is a hefty fella. He, more famous probably is the scene in where he puts on a younger, smaller man's jacket and says, fat guy in a little coat, and swings and rips it. But this hefty young man is sitting in a sailboat, a small dinghy, with no wind, and he's in the middle of the lake. And there's Tommy Boy uh, with his two, uh, about six sizes, two small life preserver draped around his neck, just sitting in the middle of this lake in his boat with no wind, with just waiting for the next gust to push him somewhere. That's what the church looks like without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, the church is Tommy Boy waiting for another gust of wind. Jesus' church is a sailboat. The Holy Spirit is the wind that fills its sails. The Holy Spirit is the wind that pushes the church forward in mission. The Holy Spirit is the wind that provides the power necessary for the spread of the gospel, for the accomplishment of the mission given. This is true not just in the book of Acts. It's true not just for the apostles and the apostolic church. It is true for Jesus' church across the ages. It is true for us today. In our gospel reading from today in Luke chapter 10, 1 through 12, we notice that Jesus appointed not 12, but 72 of his disciples. Now, I'm not a math major, or wasn't a math major, and I was educated in, in public school uh, before Common Core curriculum, and so I know that 72 is greater than 12. And that in Luke chapter 10, Jesus includes followers who are beyond the group of 12. And he sent them out to do power, to, to work in the power of the Holy Spirit, to heal the sick, and then to proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of God. And we've seen in Acts chapter 1, God's plan is expressed in Jesus' words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's a promise to the apostles, yes, but to the church of Jesus at large. Folks, we cannot get around the fact that every church and every single believer in Jesus is given a mission, is sent by God, and is empowered by God to do that work. From the apostles to Philip the deacon to the unnamed everyman evangelist of Acts chapter 11 to Barnabas and Saul and down through the ages, God's plan to spread the gospel of Jesus, crucified and risen, and to use those who believe it, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't miss that. Very practically, I think we know, I think the church in America, I think the church around the world knows the mission God has given it. The question always comes back, are we as individuals and are we as a church plugged into the power that God 
has given. A few weeks ago, I, I mentioned that, that we, we're seeking to be a church that glorifies God by, by blessing people with gospel ministries, that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom. And, and I said in a, a few weeks ago that, that in order for us to do that, we need to be intentional about equipping ourselves to be evangelists, to be disciple makers. An essential part of that equipment is the power God has given, the Holy Spirit. And here's the, the really deep, well-hidden secret to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit, to receive the power that God wants to give. Are you ready for this really deep, well-hidden secret? Ask. Just ask. That's all it is. Jesus in Luke 11 told his disciples, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's all it is. You see, God has given his mission, and God has freely given the power to fulfill work towards that mission. All we have to do is ask. God gives his direction. God gives his power for the spread of the gospel. This morning, we have an amazing opportunity before us. We're going to continue our worship this morning, having heard the word of God with, with worship through song and music and praise. And we're going to turn then and we're going to worship the Lord with uh, prayers and worship the Lord in the Eucharist. And all along the way, we have amazing opportunities for us to ask the Lord to give us the power of his Holy Spirit. And so as we worship the Lord for these next several minutes through song, this rail, this altar is open. If you would like to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, Father Forrest is going to come up. I'm going to be up here. Come up and pray. Don't be embarrassed. Nobody's looking at you. Who am I kidding? Everybody's looking at you. I'm just kidding. Don't be embarrassed. There's something so much greater that's available to us. And this rail will be open. So let's continue to worship the Lord, the Lord who has given us a plan. Make disciples, take the gospel out, and the Lord who gives us power to fulfill that plan. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.